Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. PAX turned out to be pretty cool. It was more modern than retro, but there was still a lot of stuff that fans of retro games or retro style games on newer platforms would certainly like. And there were a few smaller indie tables that I got to meet the developers, and I'm definitely going to be writing posts about them in the coming weeks, just because I thought they were very cool ideas or very neat games that I thought everybody else might be interested in, that at a show like PAX, they might have gotten lost in the big flashing lights of the bigger booths. So I certainly want to highlight some of the other stuff. Also, as always, it was really awesome to meet old friends, meet new people. Uh, Thank you to Parsec for giving me a cool shirt when I was hanging out at their booth. Big fan of that company as well. I interviewed uh, a few team members last two years ago, I believe. Uh, And overall, it was just a good time. Also, I especially would like to thank Jeremy and Benj from Retronauts for very graciously inviting me both on their podcast and to join them on the panel. I had a great time with that, although there was kind of a a bonehead moment that I giggled at. Maybe you all won't find it as funny as I did, but Jeremy was talking about something at one point in the middle of the panel, and I'm looking down because you could kind of see the slides in front of the stage on a flat screen TV, and he started talking about something, and I started thinking, did I ever try that? Do I have one of those? Should I get one of those? And I must have had a weird look on my face because Benj elbowed me like, you okay? (laughs) So... If that ever turns into a video, I think that the panel would probably go audio only, but if it ever turned into a video or if you happen to be there, um, definitely have a a nice giggle at me with a, oops, I pooped my pants look on my face when I was actually just doing as I usually do and spacing out about video game hardware. But anyway, uh, enough of my ranting about how awesome of a time I had at PAX. Let's jump into this week's news. First up, Firebrand X has just updated his OSSC profile packs to support both the Neo Geo and the N64. So anybody that's following the project um, probably is already aware, but I'll give a quick short, short version for any newcomers to it. The open source scan converter ships with a generic profile being loaded, which works pretty darn good for most cases. Uh, But if you want to dial in exact timings and get a really impressive look on your TV, and sometimes do things like eliminate interference, jail bars, all that stuff, Um, you could dial in exact timings but that takes forever and it takes a lot of knowledge of the consoles and the video signals so firebrand x has graciously done all of this work for us shout out to his patreon by the way if you use and appreciate these Um, and you go to a website uh, you go to first his website and download the profile pack then you go to a different website and load up the json files and basically arrange your own profile pack based off of his. So let's say you want Super Nintendo, Genesis, Nintendo, and now N64. You pick those, load them all up, and you could flash your OSSC 
with those profiles. So after doing so, every time you switch consoles, you have to switch profiles. And the first time you use your console with that OSSC, you have to set phase, which if there is no 240p test suite for that console, it is kind of a pain. But if there is, it's a two second thing. And as long as you save afterwards, you never have to touch it again. So uh, unless there's a change, you change your console, you change your cable, change your switch. But generally speaking, once you get these things set, you never have to mess with them again. And then just every time you want to use your console, it's okay, well, you know, I'm going to play Sega Genesis. Um, most games are 320, so I'll set it to the Genesis 320 profile. Start playing. If it looks weird, try the 256 profile, but pretty much that's it. You have a, a pretty damn near perfect signal upscaled to up to 1080p 5x. So uh, I know there was much more talk in this segment about what to do with the profiles than the update, but I think that overall that was the more important thing to talk about. And just know that you could uh, always go to firebrandx.com and pick up whatever is the latest profile pack. And he's continuing his work on other profiles as well, so a giant thank you and a shout out to him for that. The developer Nier, who was formerly known as Bayou or Biu, I'm sorry, I never get that name right, but the, the developer has now launched an emulator that's a multi-console emulator named after his previous namesake, Biu. Bayou. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Nier has uh, basically created one emulation project that supports original NES, Super Nintendo, SG-1000, Master System, Game Gear, Genesis, TurboGrafx-16, SuperGrafx, both MSX 1 and 2, all of the Game Boys, Wonderswan, uh, regular in color, and the Neo Geo Pockets, as well as Pocket Challenge. So that is a that is a pretty damn ambitious project. Um, and Nier is both looking to uh, open this development to everybody and to ask for collaborators on this, because I think they're kind of looking forward at, you know, what do we all do when we're gone? And not really a depressing way, like, you know, whether no matter what, nobody's going to stick with one thing for the rest of eternity. So I think Nier is looking for a way to make sure that these projects continue past. And unfortunately, you know, while a lot of really amazing collaborations have happened, sometimes single person projects do end up kind of fizzling out after they need to step away or take a break or whatever else. So anybody interested, please check out the post that Smoke Monster wrote that uh, that goes into detail. It's um, uh, it's really just uh, something that reminds you of how much work that Nier has put into these emula- emulation prop platforms and emulators over the years. Sorry, I can't really talk today, I guess. But um uh, it, it's a project that I, I've always looked up to and been a giant fan of, whether it was just Beastness or Hygen or any of the other projects that Nier has taken on. So I would like to see this continue, and uh, you know, especially because I've seen this project come at it from both angles, accuracy and performance, and we really need both at the same time for a, a really great emulation solution. And you know, eventually hardware will be fast enough where that's a non-issue, but now's the time to concentrate on all that stuff to make sure it's all worked out for I guess preservation is probably the best way to put it although that word is now stolen as a buzzword to get clicks uh, I do genuinely mean it for its true meaning in that uh, you know I, I want to see all of these consoles uh, as well as the people and the developers that have worked on it celebrated for many years to come so uh, if you're a fan of the project check out the post and if you're a developer check out the post and see if maybe there's some way you could you know just always check in and make sure that people are working on it contribute where you can and things like that 
Modern Vintage Gamer released a video about the NetEurose dev kit for the PlayStation 1, which was a way to target developers that weren't big studios. So at the time, if you wanted a PS1 dev kit, it was thousands and thousands of dollars and kind of a big deal, but there were still enough people that wanted to have a homebrew scene where Sony was able to release this kit that was very limiting. You couldn't have any disc support, um, but you would be able to create games that ran on the PlayStation. And I don't want to, you know, no spoilers. It's a really interesting video and I suggest people watch it. But one thing I found really cool at the end was that um, the developer who made one of the Net Eurose games that was never released somehow got in touch with MVG and not only showed footage of the game, but released it for people who want to try it out now on a real PlayStation. And I thought that was absolutely awesome. There's a cool little story behind it on why the game never got released and what it was about, but like I said, no spoilers. If you're interested, definitely check out the video. I finally got a chance to watch Not For Resale, a video game documentary, which did a great job highlighting some people that own retro gaming stores and showed the passion that they put into it and in really talking about the death of physical media and how important it is to celebrate and, and still kind of keep these things alive. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a really great documentary, but there is something I wanted to add to it a bit. Um, the documentary did a great job pulling on the heartstrings of nostalgia and sympathy for the people that do this because it's their passion, knowing that they could probably do other things that are much easier and could bring in a lot more money. That one certainly hit home for me pretty hard. But, um, you know, it, it did a great job highlighting all the good things, but it also kind of gave me a melancholy feeling of physical media is dying and not all of these classic game stores are going to be around forever. And while I'm absolutely not criticizing the documentary, I don't, I'm not saying anything negative at all about it, I just think I'd like to mention that if you watch this, remember the other side of the retro gaming scene. Because while unfortunately, yes, physical media is dying and you know these stores aren't going to be around forever, the classic game scene is growing. And Pat Contry made a really awesome point in this documentary. And in fact, I saw him at PAX and thanked him for making this point. Uh, he was talking about how... Elvis memorabilia had a bubble that kind of burst where the people that grew up around it, you know, a, a wide range of people spanning many decades, when that group of people got to the point where they had disposable income and they were able to afford some of this stuff, they could spend a zillion dollars on an official Elvis jacket. And then when that group of people kind of moved on, you know, all Elvis memorabilia is always going to be worth something and going to be a, a big part of history you know, maybe it's not worth a zillion dollars anymore. And while that's a very true point, and I'm so glad that he made that, the other side of that is every time we have a new console come out, that will eventually be a classic console. So yes, whatever's expensive and, and sought after today might have its bubble burst as well, and it might not be worth, you know, 20 grand for one cartridge forever, but it'll always be worth something, and your collections will always be be important to own and important to collect. And while, you know, while certain consoles popularity will rise and fall over the years, just like most things do in, in, for trends, it'll always be important. So while I enjoyed the documentary very much and I, I was happy to pay to rent it because I like supporting things like this that are, are pretty good and kind of evergreen content, you could probably watch this 10 years from now and it'll, you know, even though it might be a little out of date, it'll, it'll still completely make sense. Um, I did just want to remind people that when you watch it, if you get that melancholy feeling at the end, don't forget that the scene itself is growing. Lots of new products are coming out. People are coming in every year. And while you might not be as obsessed 
as the at the console you are today in the future, there will always be something to to collect and to preserve. So awesome documentary, and I hope I I hope I put that all in the right perspective, and I hope all of that came out right because it meant all of those things positively. I just wanted to kind of shine the light on both sides of it. Analog has just re-released the NT Mini for a version 2. They said this will be the last time they will do a run of production of these. And for anybody that's unaware, it's a console with a brushed aluminum case, this time available in black, that takes NES and Famicom cartridges, has four controller inputs, the Famicom expansion slot and back, as well as both analog and digital outputs, HDMI, but they're not dual outputs. You do one at a time, not uh, not both at the same time. Um, I reviewed it a while back, uh, and I, I even interviewed Kevtris, the, the main hardware designer and, you know, the core designer of this. And I, I really enjoyed it, uh, but it is, you know, a premium product. It's a $500 device, you know, with a, a beautiful brushed aluminum case that if they wanted to, they could make it a lot cheaper. But this is designed as a premium product. And if you see Analog's history before Kevtris joined and the products that Chris Tabor wanted to make, he, he you know, you could tell that a $500 premium product is something that he very much enjoys making. And I don't have any opinion on that either way. You know, some people... Some people are fine with a car they buy for 500 bucks. Other people want a Corvette, which you could pretty much drive and race with no maintenance. And then other people want a Lamborghini, which is, you know, do you really need any of that? No, but that's for people who want that stuff know that it's for them. And I think that's the same way. I think if you just wanted to play NES cartridges on a TV, there's many other ways to do it that are much cheaper. I think this is for the premium option. Um, I believe the jailbreak will most likely be compatible with this one as well, allowing you to access all of Kevin's other cores except any of the ones that came after it. So I doubt there will be a Super Nintendo, Genesis, or you know any of the other cores are on there. But anything that was available on the original jailbreak would probably be available on this one. Once again, no guarantee. Um, and the only other changes, I believe, are an updated UI and uh, the wireless controller that comes with it will now be 2.4 gigahertz RF and not a Bluetooth controller, which is really good. I'm, I'm really glad Chris Tabor paid attention to that because after all of the lag testing results that we were able to do, we proved that Bluetooth really is a laggy solution for retro. Modern consoles, fine, because they're all programmed with that controller latency in mind, but in my opinion, Bluetooth is not for retro, so I'm glad that they included all that. Um, as for if this is for you, uh, you, you know, if you were somebody that really appreciates the design of a premium product, absolutely. Remember that this brushed aluminum scratches so easily. I just touched my HDMI connector to the back of mine and, and scratched the metal on that one. So be keep that in mind. You know, this is a premium but you know luxury product to to be careful around if you want to keep it mint. Um, and you know, if you're looking for cores. I think you should just step back and take a look at, you know, what what would you rather have? Something like the Mr. Project that's constantly exploding with growth and having so many amazing things added to it. Um, and even the more people that just start using Mr. start spreading the word and eventually other FPGA engineers hear about it. So even just using it and spreading the word is causing a, a pretty big growth in the scene, which I'm very happy about. So, you know, are you do you want to be part of something that's constantly tinkering and adding new stuff and growing or do you want to just buy a device that has the cores that are in it that'll probably never have any core updates to it no offense 
that that's just kind of the way it is. I don't think they're going to go through the trouble of backporting cores to any of these things. So, you know, as far as a functionality point of view, you kind of just have to take a look at both and see if it's which one fits your needs the best. Uh, my personal opinion is that I'm just going to stick with the Mister for pretty much everything. And then I do use the other analog consoles for cartridges. Um, and I do think they're great products. I have, you know, I don't have a side in this battle. I enjoy both of them for what they are. I like all of the devs involved in all of these things. Just kind of trying to put it in perspective for everybody um the only the only weird drama-y thing is a bunch of people that bought it said that they then got a second charge on their bank accounts for like you know 20 bucks 10 bucks or something that was uh an import tax charge i didn't think that was legal i thought that you have you can't charge somebody a second time for something regardless of how much it is so you know, it does kind of crack me up that Analog is always trying to be a premium company, but always has to, always ends up stepping on people's toes, whether it's their $100 shipping to Australia or people just getting randomly charged a second time for their purchase. And, you know, I, I do know a lot of people that take, uh, that use the strict credit cards for certain things. So, you know, they might have one credit card with a big high limit, but only use another one for certain purchases. I could imagine a situation where somebody that has plenty of money might have had a second charge end up overdrafting because that's just not what they budgeted for on that card or something. So I don't know. It kind of cracked me up. It made a lot of people very upset. So uh, certainly sorry about that for anybody that, that had a hard time with it, but it was only a small amount. So Oh well, I guess that's your I guess that's the one and only drama for this week. A second charge for the NT Mini 2. <laughs> so it looks like 8-bit Doe kept their promise and will be releasing a 2.4 gigahertz RF SNES controller. And this is a controller that has the dongle that goes in the original Super Nintendo console, and it does not use Bluetooth. So hopefully this will mean it will be a much faster connection between the Super Nintendo. Um, as I stated before in the analog NT Mini section, the testing that was done a while back showed that Bluetooth controllers can have significantly more lag than RF. So I think these are perfect for retro consoles. Um, you could pre-order right now. They come in Super Nintendo or Super Famicom styles. Uh, it looks like they have both the convex buttons and uh, as well as the color scheme. So I think that's pretty cool as well for people that have a preference. Um, they are $25 and will ship on June 10th. So I pre-ordered mine. Um, I do love wireless controllers, even just for testing. I think sometimes what ends up happening with me personally is I have all of these wireless battery-powered controllers. And by the time I actually find time to sit down and play a game... All the batteries are dead, and I end up using a wired controller anyway. So anyway, um, if you're interested in this one, definitely check it out, uh, especially if you're interested in using it with original hardware. And if anybody wants my Bluetooth version, let me know. <laughs> 8-Bit Doe has also just announced pre-orders on a NES version of a 2.4 gig wireless controller, and it looks like all they're doing is taking the controller from the NES Classic and using it with a receiver for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. So they did last year release a 2.4 gig wireless controller for the Classic, um, not Bluetooth. So it just looks like same thing, but they're pairing it with a different receiver. Uh, I don't know if they'll be selling the receivers separately, although that would make a lot of sense for anybody that has a NES Classic. You could just get the new receiver and then use the controller on both, one at a time, of course. Um, I also don't know if I like the layout of this controller because it's a four button, 
you know, one set of turbo, one set of regular. So I'm not sure how that would feel, but without holding one and playing it, there's really no way to tell. Um, I believe those are also $25, though, so it's a, a pretty decent investment. Um, and if you're looking for a top-notch, you know, elitist, if you will, like best-of-the-best best wireless controller for the Nintendo, the AVS uh, Retro USB controller is one that not only was designed um, painstakingly, but it was tested as much as possible on all the right equipment, oscilloscopes and stuff, and Brian even tested it with Tetris Champions and was able to use a, a program that set the lag specifically. And he even found that those famous Tetris players couldn't do their special moves at about 8 milliseconds of lag, which is half a frame. So once he was able to get it tweaked, it's significantly lower than that because those Tetris players were then able to use that wireless controller exactly like an original with the same performance. My personal opinion on that one was that I loved how it performed, but I didn't like the dogbone style. So laserbear.net, Greg designed a drop-in replacement case where you basically just take the guts out of one, put it in this one, and it feels exactly like a slightly thicker Nintendo controller. Controller. So uh, it's a little more expensive. I think that's 65 or 70. Um, but if you're really looking to go, you know, holy crap, I need the best of the best. I need, you know, I need the best performing. I would definitely suggest that one. Um, if you're only just looking for, hey, I just want a wireless controller. It doesn't have to be the best. It just got to be better than Bluetooth. I think that the 8-bit Doe one was probably the better choice for you. The DOS version of Mega Man X has just gotten a complete overhaul of the sound files. So I guess the original Mega Man X was released and very much celebrated on the Super Nintendo, but when a port for MS-DOS came, uh, it featured music that wasn't nearly as good. And one developer was able to port that music over and create patches uh, and create uh, tutorials on how to patch it as well. So anybody that wants to have the DOS version uh, or wants to play the DOS version with better quality sound can just follow these tutorials and follow the links and be able to do so. I think it's pretty cool. I've never played the DOS version of Mega Man X myself that I remember. I do remember back in the day downloading and trying some games on my PC, but I always loved gaming with a controller on original hardware, even back when the stuff was mainstream. So while I probably admittedly at 11 years old stole a bunch of software, I really didn't use it very often. I just wanted to try it and then deleted the very precious space on whatever tiny hard drive I had in the 90s and moved on to the next one. So if you're interested in this stuff, definitely give it a try. Cosmic Katamari just posted his experience in trying to capture 1200p and 1440p. So recently I released a video that tries to capture OSSC 5X in 1080p on certain capture cards. And I kind of went through which ones were compatible and which ones weren't. But anybody with a display that's compatible, you could go from 1080p to 1200p and do 5X that fills the whole screen, not cuts off the top and the bottom. On top of that, you could use the Mr. Project to get 1440p, which is 6x, and Cosmic Katamari wanted to see which capture cards would be compatible with that. Um, I thought it was a pretty cool write-up with some cool conclusions on what you could use if you wanted to do this. Um, you know, it, generally speaking, it's not too standard of a resolution, uh, so 1440 is probably going to be more compatible than 1200, but it's a pretty uh, great write-up, and it kind of goes into detail of his whole experience, so if you were looking to capture either of those resolutions, definitely give this one a watch, or a read, or both. Sorry. <laughs> 
A new version of Stella was just released for the Retron 77 that adds a bunch of bug fixes, uh, compatibility issues, um, and support for more cartridges. And for anybody that's unaware of the Retron 77 and the homebrew projects around it, uh, I guess Hyperkin used a version of Stella, the very good Atari 2600 emulator, that's about eight years old today. And I can't quite remember why that was. I think there was some drama involved in that. Uh, but the point is, uh, it's kind of an older version of Stella. So while the Retron 77 by itself seems to be okay, Anytime you're able to port newer and more streamlined software to it, of course, it's going to work better. So this update improves cartridge support and a bunch of other things, but it really improves a lot of things on the SD card loading side, and you get really great performance from it that way as well. Uh, I guess the way that the hardware inside the Retron 77 works, the cartridge port will always have some limitations on it. So you will always get better performance and compatibility running ROMs. And same with the controller port boards. And in fact, there's even controller adapters that let you use your controllers via USB that have better support for things like the paddle controllers. Um, I've never used the paddle controller that Hyperkin released, the Cadet controller i think i'm probably getting that wrong but um it looks uh it, it looks pretty cool and it looks like something i would at least like to try um, i don't i don't like a huge number of atari 2600 games but it's an important console and one that i do play every now and then so this is something that i'd like to look into and i think you know the unfortunate part is if you're a tinkerer and you don't mind adding all this stuff great you get all this extra performance but at the end of the day you still can't just walk into a game store grab a retron 77 and play the entire 2600 library including homebrew and including all controllers without any kind of tinkering so i think luckily most video game nerds like myself don't mind going the extra bit but there are some people out there that just want to play their cartridges so you know, uh, kind of good and bad on both sides. Also, I'd like to welcome Alex Mitchell. Uh, he, this is his first post, and, um, you know, welcome to the team. Newcomer to the site, Alex posted a second time this week, this time an editorial-esque post on what's a checksum, uh, and I thought it was a really great way for non-technical people to visualize what that is. So if uh, any of us that have been in IT for a while or just been nerdy our whole lives know that a checksum is a way of verifying a file without having to go through that entire file. So verify music without listening to every second of it, verify a video game without playing every single bit of it um, to make sure that that it has the same file properties as one that is verified as good. Uh, but that's a nerd explanation of it. And I think Alex did a really great job explaining a non-technical explanation of it, um, which is something I appreciate very, very much. Uh, even stuff like this, where I already knew the answer and I thought I could explain it in an okay way. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes us nerds take for granted the, the stuff that we've just been using our whole lives. So I really like to hear other people's opinions and other people's way of describing things. And every time I do, I always end up learning one better way to tweak the way I say it. So uh, if you're at all interested in what a checksum is or want another way to explain it to your non-nerd friends, please check out the post. The absolutely amazing homebrew software for the GameCube called Swiss has had quite a few updates over the past few months, and Ronnie was nice enough to combine all of those updates into one post to keep everybody in the loop. Um, there's a bunch of different updates, including small things that I think make a big difference, like showing the disk number when a multi-disc game has been found. Those are things that, generally speaking, are, are very small things that uh, I don't know. I, I always just appreciate the little details like that, and they do come in handy. Um, if you don't know what Swiss is, 
Basically, it's a way of booting to a loader before launching your GameCube game. So even if you just use an action replay to get to Swiss, you don't need your GameCube modded at all, as long as you have a way to boot to it. And then you could even boot real discs on it. You don't need to use Homebrew. However, you could then control those discs and control the way you use them. Uh, so, you know, that's NTSC on PAL, that's forcing 480p or 240p modes on games that don't normally support it. Um, I use it for everything. I don't boot a GameCube anymore unless it boots directly to Swiss first. And I found it came especially handy on my PAL GameCube because I generally use that for NTSC RGB out. And most of my TVs will work with PAL, but not all. So I have it set so that Swiss boots, and then, you know, with the in the configuration file, which you could get to right through the GUI, I have the menu be 480i uh, NTSC. So if I use my GameCube on a TV that's not compatible, you know, whether it's through the OSSC or whatever else, it won't have any signal while the GameCube startup logo is playing, but as soon as Swiss hits, now it becomes NTSC and I could use it. So just a, a quick description on how I use the software. Um, if you're a Swiss user and you have the ability to easily upgrade, seems like a no-brainer. Just upgrade and keep moving along. Uh, and for all the details, check out Ronnie's post. And lastly, I just released a video that tested the lag on the Sega Nomad LCD screens. Uh, I've wanted to do Nomad videos for a while. I'm always waiting for something else to come out before I, I, I do the video. And I just felt, what the heck, let me just do a lag test video and spend a few minutes on that. I think a lot of the longer form videos that I've put out are kind of like a history of things and covering all ground. And I've gotten a ton of complaints that people just want to skip to the end. So this is one of those. You know, It's a, a very quick overview of some of the mods that I did, uh, but mostly just let's test a bunch of screens and see what we get. The answer is that all of the options are about a frame of lag. Um, it, it looks like some of the, the newer options might be a little bit less than, closer to a half a frame. But overall, it's not an experience ruining uh, thing, even the original screen. Although I, I was reminded of how terrible the original screen was when playing it. Beast let me borrow his to do the um, to do the test. And funny, you could even see him in the background of one of the shots. I didn't realize he was in it until I was editing, so I put a fun little Beast sighting note in there. But uh, it's a great uh, it's a great console, and there are many new things coming out for it too. Um, the one that's already out is the triple bypass from Mobius Strip Tech, which I've talked about before. Greg from Laser Bear is talking about his rechargeable battery pack solution for it, which will be a complete solution. You don't need any older stuff. You just buy from him. You might have to buy the battery separate, but whatever. And then, you know, Amazon. And I think that's going to be a pretty cool thing. And the makers of the LCD DRV, the, the, this, the board that translates between RGB and the LCD screens that you use, that just had an update that supposedly fixes some of the complaints that I, I briefly mentioned in this video. So uh, it's a good time to own a Nomad. I'm going to try to get in that RGB DRV screen, or board to upgrade the screen to see how it works and if it really is uh, a, a substantial improvement to that. So uh, kind of a neat little video. The only other thing which I will, I don't know if I remember to put it in, but if I didn't put it in the post, I will add to it. A couple of people had a very excellent question in that in my video, I have the Nomad on top of a small RGB monitor. And because of the way rolling shutters work in cameras, aren't I supposed to have them alongside of the monitor in order to get a proper reading. 
And I thought that was a very good question, and it's one that I thought I knew the answer to, but I wanted to prove for sure, because uh, I always like to check my own work. So while, yes, the concerns of using a cell phone camera to do things like this, um, it's not going to be the same as a more professional camera, I had a second video that I made that just took... Uh, the Nomad on each side of the monitor, left, right, and above, with the 960 frame per second slow motion camera that I always use, showing that the results were identical to all three. And if you want to watch it, even if you want to slow it down yourself, just watch. Uh, the video starts it at full speed, and within 10 seconds, it's at 10% speed, so you could very easily watch the scan line come down. Uh, and the only thing to pay attention to is the first number, so the number all the way to the right. Um, I wasn't able to get exactly the same time codes on all of the, the 240p test suite screens, but I did line them up in post. So if it starts at frame 23, you know, forget everything else, and you're able to actually watch everything come down at the same exact speed, and you're able to watch all three, six, I guess, screens uh, update at the exact same time, the same way, regardless of the orientation. So excellent question. I'm glad somebody asked it. I really, you know, th that's the type of criticism I really enjoy enjoy hearing because that's one of those things where like what if they what if the concern was right and I found out that above or to the left of using the camera I was using skewed the results or something so keep them coming please I love I love that kind of feedback and criticism I might not always agree with it I might not always drop what I'm doing to shoot another follow-up video on it but I always love it so thank you very much well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to everybody that supports on all of the different platforms, as it's your help that's really keeping all of these things going, as well as all of the behind-the-scenes research and development going. And of course, thanks to everybody else who watches, listens, participates nicely in the comments, and really just becomes a part of this. So thanks again, and I'll see you next week.